I'm pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, today I'm going to tell a design story. But the design story, the very first design story, I'm going to start talking all about alpha slash beta. Um, so uh, bits and pieces. I've definitely told elements of the story before, but I'm going to try to get a little more the design element of the story. Okay, so to recap but, uh, the, the, the classic magic story. Um, so Richard Garfield and his friend um, Mike Davis came to Wizards of the Coast because they were trying to sell Richard's game Robo Rally, which is an awesome game if you've never played it. Um, Robo Rally was too expensive to make, and Peter Atkinson, the CEO then of Wizards of the Coast, said um, that he's more interested in a game that can be made on cards that can be played quick, something to be played in between role-playing sessions. Um, Richard said he had an idea and went off to try to make this game. So, I think what happened is... So, a little history on Richard, uh, Richard Garfield. Um, so, Richard was, um, at the time, a math professor. Um, or actually, was he a professor yet? I think he was actually in school when... Because uh, he was at... Um, the University of Pennsylvania is where he met a, a bunch of the other playtesters. Um, and so he, um, he, uh, sorry about that, little traffic stuff, trying not, not to get in accidents while I drive. Um, so Richard uh, was at, in the graduate program, I believe, at UPenn at the time, because he was in Philadelphia. Um, and I don't know, the, what I understand is Richard had loved the idea Richard, for those that don't know, uh, I think I've talked about this, loves games. Loves, 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 loves games. And he was just the kind of person that would play every game he'd get his hand on, and that he just loved the exploration, and he just loves games. And so, um, one of the things that he spends a lot of time on is, you know, thinking about games. He loves talking about games and and exploring games and... um, you know, when Richard was in R&D, we had a whole folder just to discuss concepts of games. You know, it's called Kickshaw was the name of the folder. And we, we, this is where I learned all about a lot of Richard's theories and a lot of the terminology that Richard has. You know, the idea of king-making, which is a game in which um, you don't necessarily win the game, but you control who wins. So you can't win, but you control who else wins. And we, we, we had a lot of terminology explaining how different functions in different games work. Very educational. Um... But one of the things that Richard had always been very fascinated with is the idea of what he calls a metagame. Um, and he doesn't mean what we often talk about now as a metagame, which is what's the right deck to play. What he means is all the things that come along with the game beyond the game itself. So, for example, um, when you think of magic, in any one week, you might be talking with your friends, or building decks, or trading, or reading about magic online, or participating in, in social media. There's all these things you can be doing that are magic, that in your mind, I'm spending time doing magic, but you're not actually playing the game. And Richard, Richard was very fascinated by that, and I think that magic came from the concept uh, of what he, he, I think the way he phrased it is, a game bigger than the box. That Richard liked the idea of making a game that part of the game was just seeing the game. That part of the game was that the game was bigger than any one person. You know, the game was big enough that it was something in which you didn't experience the game solely by buying it and opening the box. 
You experience the game by going out and finding other people also playing the game. Um, so I think Richard had been very fascinated by that concept. Um, he also loved, I know, from games like Cosmic Encounter, the idea that games allow you to break their own rules. That there are a lot of games... So Cosmic Encounter is a, a, a famous game um, where you are controlling alien armies and you're trying to take over the galaxy. Um, and the cool thing about the game is that um, there are different cards that let you do different things, and there are cards that let you counteract that, and then each alien has his own sort of superpower that affects the game, that, that each alien has a certain thing they can do that nobody else can do. And so every time you play, the fact that you always have a different mix of aliens, uh, and then the intermix of, of the cards, that uh, Cosmic Counter has a lot of rule-breaking in it. Richard, uh, Richard really improved, really liked that kind of gameplay, and so I think he was also fascinated with the idea of having a game really where you could break, a game that would continually break its own rules. Um, finally, I don't know whether or not Richard got to the idea of a trading card game before um, Peter suggested the idea of cards, or my, my memory of the story, and like I said, I've heard this secondhand a bunch of times, is that Richard had already thought of the idea of a trading card game, but hadn't really pursued it. Um, I think what happened is that um, Peter basically was giving them... Peter had a small company. Wizards of the Coast at the time was a tiny, tiny company. It was a role-playing company. Um, and it, really, it, was, it was run out of Richard's... I mean, I'm sorry, run out of Peter's basement. It was a tiny, tiny company. Nobody was really even full-time in the company, I, I don't think. I mean, everybody was kind of part-time. Um, or if there were any full-time employees, there were very, very few. Um, and And... I think if there were a few full-time employees, they were, like, working for a stock or something. You know, they weren't... It, it was very low-key. It was a very small company. And what Peter had said to Richard is, look, here's what I'm capable of doing. Um, and Peter knew uh, of an art school. He knew some artists from an art school. Um, I, I think through Jesper, um, that, uh, a place to get some artists. He knew... I'm not sure what he had... I'm not sure what he had done with... Um, with the printer before, but he, he knew of the printer. Maybe he'd used the printer. Cartamonde uh, was in Belgium. Maybe he'd even used Cartamonde before, but he had a printer he knew. He had artists that he could get in contact with. He realized that he could make cards. The cards were something he could do that could look pretty, that could look cool and that he was capable of doing. Um, and I think Richard, I think, so I mean, Peter said to Richard, okay, here's the constraints of, of a game that maybe I could make. You know, I'm looking for something um, he was a role-playing company, so he was definitely looking for something in the role-playing area. Uh, I, I think that's why fantasy appealed to him. Um, I, he was definitely looking for something that was quick playtime. Uh, Peter's line was a game you could play in between in, in between role-playing sessions. Um, he, he was looking at cards, something with illustrations, um, and I think that Richard. Um, I think what... This is my take on it. I, I, I could ask Richard next time I see him, but I, my take on this was that Richard spent a lot of time thinking about things, and he had a lot of ideas for games in his head, and that he didn't have time to actually explore all the different ideas he had, and that he would just explore whatever was interesting to him at the time. And so when Peter came along and said... and gave him the constraints, Richard's like, okay, I have, I have an idea that's within that area. Um, and I... I think Richard's basic idea was he had toyed around with the idea of a trading card game and what that would mean. Um, 
So for those that know, I, I said that Richard had three genius ideas when he created Magic. And one was the trading card game genre. The idea of taking trading cards, which obviously long existed, and designing a game out of them. Just the idea of, I've opened this up instead of baseball players or movies or whatever, I'm getting, you know, cards to a game. And the idea that you could pick and choose which cards you wanted to play. Richard was fascinated by that. Um, and in fact, I think what Richard was fascinated by was the idea that I had a bunch of cards and I could make something from what I own, but that I would venture out and play other people and they would just have spells I'd never seen before. Now remember, uh, when he built Alpha, the idea of anti was built into the game, meaning it was part of Richard's thought that not only would I go out and explore, I would, in exploring, get other people's cards that our cards would mix. That was a big part of, of, of I think, Richard's early vision is the idea that, um, and this aspect was really um, influenced by marbles. Um, Richard had grown up, uh, his dad is an architect, and he, Richard grew up in, a, like, I know he lived in, I think, Nepal for a while. You know, he definitely moved around a bit as a kid, and he lived in some foreign countries, and um, I, I think it was Nepal where they played marbles. There's some game where marbles were really, really big. And the idea of marbles is you have a bunch of marbles that you think are really cool, but in the act of playing marbles with other people, you are interchanging your marbles for their marbles. So that it, it, it has the quality of you know, any one marble. Like, kind of, I'm exploring and finding other people's marbles, and then part of playing with other people meant that some of my marbles wouldn't go to them and some of their marbles wouldn't go to me. There's this constant change of flux of marbles. I think Richard really liked that. Um, and you can see, I'm, I'm trying to name off different influences here. Um, that there are a lot of different pieces that sort of influence Richard. So anyway, Richard gets from Peter this, I want this. So Richard's like, okay, I have a game company willing to make something. Um, and once again, I should stress, Peter's saying, this is what I wanted. Richard still had to make something that excited Peter that Peter wanted to make. Um, so Richard had this neat idea. So he said, okay, I'm going to go work on this. Um, so I... I think, I, I don't know for sure. I don't, once again, I'm not sure whether or not the, I think the idea of fighting with magic is something that Richard already had in his head. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, the idea of tying a, tri a trading card game specifically to a magical duel, I don't know. I mean, that, that goes back to the earliest incarnations of the game, so I assume it must have been there from the, the get-go. Um, I don't know whether Richard had had... I don't know whether or not the fact that he was pitching to Peter and Peter was a big role-playing fan, and especially Dungeons & Dragons, um, you know, P Peter was very into fantasy. So I don't know whether or not Richard steered toward fantasy because he knew he was pitching to Peter or whether his idea inherently was a fantasy idea. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. What I do know is he went back to Philadelphia, and there was a bunch of different people he played games with. So uh, uh, the two major ones is... He went to a bridge club that he used to go to, um, and at the bridge club, he met um, Bill Rose, Charlie Catino, Joel Mick, Lily Wu, um, uh, most of the people that ended up doing the design for Mirage and Visions, uh, that group. Um, Don Siegel, uh, Howard, uh, Howard Elliott, I don't know the last names, I think it's Howard Kallenberg. Uh, Elliot Siegel, uh, Don Felice, sorry, Don Felice, Elliot Siegel, Howard Kallenberg, um, Charlie Catino, Joel Mick, uh, Bill Rose were the six that did, that did Mirage. Um, 
So uh, that was one group. Another group was people that he knew from University of Pennsylvania. Uh, that's the group that we now sort of call the East Coast Playtafter. So that would be uh, Scafalias, uh, Jim Lynn, uh, Chris Page, Dave Petty, that group. Um, he also uh, knew a guy named uh, Barry Wright. Uh, Barry Wright is, um, if you know, uh, the Barry's Mechanic, uh, Barry's Land. That's Barry. He's the one that made a set called Spectral Chaos. I've talked about that in my um, Invasion podcast. Uh, and I, there probably were a few other. Those are the, the, the ones I remember, the ones that ended up making magic sets. So he probably had some other playtesters that I'm not naming, although those were the major playtesters. Okay, so what Richard did is he knew he needed, that part of what he was trying to capture was not just the, not just the gameplay, but also the larger sense of a metagame of, you know, people opening cards and different people owning different things, that he wanted to create that sense to it. And that he knew if he was going to play test, it couldn't just be, it wasn't just playing the mechanics, but trying to play out the entire um, sort of metagame unto itself. So I know that the earliest, the very first magic games he ever played was with Barry. I know that. Um, And I think he was just trying to figure out the mechanics. So for those who don't know early alpha... um, so, real quickly, when I talk about Alpha, I really mean Alpha and Beta, um, what we call limited edition. What happened was uh, Richard had made a set, and they printed enough for what they thought was six months, sold in weeks, um, but there were some printing errors. They went back on press to fix the printing errors. That is Beta. Uh, it's still limited edition, still black border. Um, alpha and Beta differ from each other in a couple ways. There, um, there were two cards plus five basic land. Um, they had forgotten Circle Protection Black and um, Volcanic Island from the Alpha Sheet. They fixed that in beta. And in order to say over, I think they wanted to say over 300 cards, they added five more land, basic land arts, so they could say over 300 cards, I believe, is, is why they added the land. Um, so I'm talking about him, his design of Limited today. The fact that there was printing errors in it doesn't negate sort of the basic set. Alpha Beta is the basic set. Um, I use Alpha as shorthand a lot of times just to be the first, but I really mean limited edition. When I, I, when, I, the rest of this, when I say Alpha, I mean Alpha and Beta and limited edition is what I'm talking about. Okay, so um, Richard playtested with uh, Barry. Uh, so the earliest version of Magic, he had five colors super, super early. Um, I don't know... I think inherently Richard understood the idea that you wanted... Um, I, I've talked about this in my Color Pie podcast, that he knew he needed to divvy up what was going on, that he needed one of the ways to make a trading card game work was you couldn't put every, you couldn't let everybody play everything and cause problems. So he used colors as a means to separate what people can do, and then he wanted flavors to colors. My gut is he, took, he picked five. I, I, my guess this, is, this was a little more subconsciously than consciously, but I'm not sure. Um is he liked the idea of a relationship between colors, and an odd number gives you a much more interesting relationship than an even number. Because an odd number, five especially, five did this neat thing where every color got two allies and two enemies. So it made it a very dynamic. If you had made four colors, then it's like there were just two enemy pairs, um, and it would be it just, eh, less, much less dynamic. By adding one more color, you go from two enemy pairs to five enemy pairs, which is just much more dynamic. Um, Richard, Richard really, really, if you look at the early, uh, yeah, limited edition, um, Richard really was trying to communicate the idea of the color pie and the idea that 
these colors get along and these colors don't get along. And, you know, uh, there's a lot more hate early on. There's a lot more, you know, there's a lot of my enemy is this color, so I will fight against this color. And that was throughout. He also did a lot of um, mirrors things. So the things in which um, he's really contrasting. Uh, most of the mirrors were in enemy colors. White knight, black knight, blue elemental blast, red elemental blast, those kind of things. Okay, so um, what he did was he figured out, um, I think a lot of the early mechanics were just, like he wasn't, he might have keyworded stuff early on, but that was more of a shorthand just to say, oh, here's a mechanic, I'm going to do this a bunch of times, uh, it's got some flavor to it, so I'm going to use the flavor word. Um, in fact, alpha playtest cards, so if you've never seen alpha playtest cards, um, they're pretty cool. Um, so what he did was, he wanted to make thing. He wanted to make something that was definitely conveyed the information and and gave a little bit of a, the sense of a playing card. Um, the actual cards he made were maybe two inches, two and a half inches by two inches. Uh, they, were, they were longer than they were wide, so maybe maybe they were like three inches by two inches. Maybe um, they were a little, and they were cardboard. He printed on cardboard. Um, and what he did was he got whatever pictures he could find. They mostly were from magazines and comics and stuff. Um, uh, in fact, there's a lot of fun, if you've seen early alpha cards, there are a lot of, you know, um, there's a lot of very jokey cards. Like one of them, um, the card that would go on, I think we call it to be Healing Salve, was called Heal. And it had a photocopied uh, of Scaphalias' heel, his foot. Um, and, and then there were Kelvin Hobbs, and there were Superman. I, the, there were just a lot of pictures from different things uh, in this prototype. And so what he did was, he actually made booster packs, and then he divvied them up to people. And each each person in the playtest got so many. Um, I, I don't know exactly how many, but got some number of packs. And the idea was, this is all you get, but you can trade with people and, and go make decks. That, that was the very first playtest. Um, and I, I don't think there were tons of restrictions in the first playtest. Um, and what happened was, I mean, the the essence of what magic is, I mean, R- Richard discovered really quickly that he had hit upon something because his playtesters just went to town. Um, now, once again, like I said, these are little tiny pieces of cardboard that were, you know, black and white photocopies. Um, but it didn't matter that, you know, just the the excitement of building the deck and finding more cards and making trades. Um, and what happened was, early on, um, there were no rules. Like, you, you can have as many cards in your deck as you want. You can trade as many people as you want. And, you know, hey, whatever you want. You know, um, and that what started happening is, as they started playing, people started realizing that there existed some degenerate strategies. And so the game then took on this, this interesting aspect where there was a limited number of things. And so as people started realizing... Um, so I think, for example, Scaff... Um, what was it? There's some card that Scaff figured out. Uh, was it Plague Rat, maybe? There's some card that in volume or something that was really... That was much, much more powerful in volume than it had been isolated. And so Scaff started trading for this thing. Um... And people weren't really aware of it early on, and, and Scaff got a, quite a number of them before people clicked, realized what Scaff was doing. And then they're like, oh no, Scaff's trying to get whatever it was. Let's say it's Plague Rats. Scaff's trying to play Rats. No trading with Scaff. Do not give Scaff Plague Rats. You know, but Scaff would go around and he would make these, 
you know, he, he figured out what other people wanted and he would make these exciting trades. And people were like, well, I really, really want this card. Scaff has it. I, it can't hurt to give him one more plague rat or whatever, whatever it was. Um, and so, um, there was a, this little, sort of the little substructure began of people definitely building decks and, and hoarding cards and trade, like people careful who they traded with and all this dynamics. Um, and one of the things that was definitely happening was you were seeing different... These were all gamers. All, all his playtesters were real hardcore gamers. And so they really were exploiting the system. They were trying to figure out, what can I do? Um, and remember, this is back where, I mean, nobody, nobody knew all the cards. This wasn't even something where, you know, people didn't know all good cards existed. So part of playing with somebody, um, and this is very true for early magic. Remember... Um, a lot of how we early magic function was based on a, a lot of Richard's desires to create a certain experience. And one of the things that Richard wanted was he loved the idea of this exploration of space, of part of, like part of, of learning about the game. Part of playing the game was learning about the game, that you would play an opponent and they would then use a spell you've never seen before. And, oh my goodness, and maybe now I want that spell and we want to trade it from him, you know. And so in order to get that, Richard was really big on sort of secrecy of not letting people know what the card pool was. So if you look at early magic, um, Wizards in the early days was really, really shy about, about giving out card information. For example, they, early magic did not give out card lists. You know, there were um, secondary sources that sort of figured out the list, but magic didn't give them. They didn't give rarity, and early magic didn't even have rarity on the cards. And if you know early magic... Richard even did some things, like he put some basic lands, uh, islands, I believe, uh, I, I know, um, on the rare sheet, because he was trying to fool people so they wouldn't quite know even what the rare is, you know. He wanted, he wanted to make it difficult for people to know what, you know, what cards were of what rarity. And Richard was really, really trying to sort of make the exploration something cool. The one misstep that Richard made in this area is... Um, he just didn't understand where the world was going. And that um, the, the internet as we know it, I mean, I guess the internet goes back to, I don't know, the 60s or something. But, but it really was the early 90s where um, Usenet started taking off. And, and, and um, I mean, shortly after Magic came off, really the web took off. So, I mean, the, the idea of keeping information at bay right on the cusp of, like, the beginning of the information age... Um, that's something Richard just really couldn't foresee. Um, he really was trying to sort of keep the information, but it was just an impossible thing to do. And eventually Wizards came around and realized that, um, that, that Richard's vision of sort of people exploring the game only through the game uh, you know, and not sharing what the cards were was just something that wasn't, that wasn't going to be viable. And, and um, Wizards really changed up its strategy of sort of how to deal with that. Because, um, like, for example, I covered the very first World Championships. I had the decks of the World Champions. And I wasn't allowed to list the decks. They didn't want people to copy the decks. And so um, I did a play-by-play. One of the ways people figured out the decks somewhat is I did a detailed play-by-play for the finals. And so I showed every card in their hand and what they drew. And so by reading the, my transcripts of the three games, you were able to figure out a good chunk of their deck. Not, not every card, but you had a pretty good sense of generally what was in their deck and how their decks worked. And people definitely, from the data I'd given them, and sort of backward built it somewhat to a certain extent. Um, so the um, anyway, so Richard started doing this playtesting, uh, and he learned a lot of very important things. So first off, 
he, he learned a lot of his metagame stuff, that the idea of the deck building and people trading and a lot of stuff he was excited about. He saw all that happen. Another thing he started to learn about was the importance of templating. Uh, so the classic story for this is um, one of the playtesters comes up to talk to him. I, I don't, actually don't know which playtester. And the playtester said, um, wow, I got, I got the most amazing card. And he goes, I, I play this card and then my opponent, I just win on the next turn. And, and, and Richard, like, I mean, Richard knew all the cards. Richard was like, there's a card. What card can you automatically win on the next turn? So he shows him Time Walk. So the original text for Time Walk was, opponent loses next turn. Which, in, in what Richard meant was, oh, I'm going to take a turn away from you. I'm going to get an extra turn. And the way I'm going to get an extra turn is I'm going to take the turn away from somebody else. Um, but, obviously, opponent loses next turn. You can read that as, the opponent loses next turn. That's what happens. Next turn, you're going to lose. Um, and so Richard ended up changing it to, instead of you, somebody else losing a turn, you gain a turn to avoid that confusion. Um, but it's a really good example of sort of realizing the, the value of words. Um, and something, if you look at early alpha, that Richard definitely struggled a bit with, and it wasn't really cleaned up... Um, Richard was driven by a lot of the feel that he wanted. That he wanted you to feel like a wizard and feel like a magical duel. And he wanted all these colors to have conflicts with each other and have philosophies and represent things. And he had this whole mana system and, and it was a trading card game. And Richard did all these amazing, amazing things. I mean, magic is an awesome game. But one of the areas that Richard was a little... He, he wasn't as precise as the game would end up needing to be. That he sort of worded things and like, you know, sort of wording. And as, as, as Time Walk showed him, um, he needed to be more precise. That the rules needed to be a little bit more um, structured. And Richard tried to structure the rules. Um, but if you ever read the Alpha Rulebook, um, there, there, there's an attempt to, to try to codify things and make things work similarly. Um, but there, there is definitely one of the problems with early magic. And like I said, magic has so many awesome, positive things going for it. I, I, I'm just, you know, looking back with a critical eye, trying to, you know, areas where there was room for improvement. Um, and one of them was that the game was not internally consistent through all the cards. That certain cards would do something and be worded one way, and another card would do the same thing, essentially, but be worded differently. Um... And a lot of early magic rules... Like, one of the things I think Richard liked was the idea that, you know what, there's going to be confusion in the rules, and you and your friends, you figure out what you think is right. Um, and in a game in which it was just a casual game that you and your friends kind of had fun sitting around playing, you know what, that could work. House rules, Richard's always been a big fan of house rules, that like, look, the cards are giving you the structure for a game... Look, if we make you talk and make you guys among you, as a group figure out what you want to happen, hey, great. We, you know, Richard is really big on gaming as a bonding experience. But what Richard hadn't seen, uh, and, and in some level, it, it is hard to imagine what magic became when you were making the game. I mean, you don't see things being the, a phenomenon. It's just hard to see that. And what happened was, magic became so big that there needed to be, like, people wanted to play with strangers because, you know, tournaments happen. And it, it's one thing when you're at your own house and you can, you can have your house rules and, like, it's my house and my house, here's the rules. But when you start getting places where you're meeting people and you're meeting strangers, 
there has to be rules for how the cards work that everybody can just like these are the set rules. And early Magic had a lot of a lot of band aids and a lot of a lot of like well, um, like one of the things I talked about is early Magic had a lot of fixing. Uh, this is my favorite. I, I, I talked about this, but I, I'll bring it up because it's my favorite. Uh, is uh, protection existed, and so they they came up with something at the time. Uh, this is post alpha. This is um, I, I don't know. This is sometime around between beta and, and unlimited, maybe um, semi targeting. So they had things that targeted. Um, so they 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 were trying to figure out the interaction between balance and black knight. So black knight had protection from white. And originally, the way protection worked is it just said, hey, you can't be affected by things of that color. So protection from a black knight and protection from white. Well, balance is white. Well, balance can't hurt black knight. He's white. But the question was, well, with balance, not only did it destroy things, it also counted things. Well, did black knight count? When you were figuring out, like, did, did balance just ignore black knight? Um, but the thought was, well, we want black knight to hose white as much as it can. So, yeah, we want balance to count it. Because we want you to have to sacrifice... We, I, I guess they... Well... I don't know. I guess they figured they wanted to count it. That, you know, balance should know it's there. Um, I, I guess that, that, that's not actually in Black's benefit. But anyway, they, they, they decided they wanted... Balance should know that Black Knight is there. But it can't kill it. So what does that mean? It says, like, well, it's there for purposes of accounting, but it's not there for purposes of being able to destroy it. So it's semi-targeted. Which means that, like... It's there for part of it, not for another part, which is a weird concept. Um, and so, early on, Richard realized... Now, Richard started doing a lot of work of trying to clean up um, the text. Like I said, it's not like he, he, he learned the mistake of Time's Walk and just ignored it. No, no, no. Richard did a lot of things to try to line things up. Um, another thing that Richard did is the mana system works slightly differently. The colors, the five colors were all there. Um, I should say mana cost work. The mana system works the same. Mana cost worked differently. So the way mana cost worked originally is he would give you a number followed by mana symbols. And what that meant is... Um, so for, example, for Savannah Lions, which costs a single white mana, would be written as one and then a white mana. And what that meant was this creature costs one, one of which must be spent using white mana. So for example, Hill Giant which is a 3-3 creature that costs 3 generic and 1 red, would be 4 red mana. Um, so let's see, like a Crawworm, which is 6 mana, 4 generic, 2 green, would be 6 green green. Uh, and Richard originally tried that, and from playtesting, what he found was people were getting confused because the numbers were getting counted twice. Um, and so what he ended up doing is moving to the current system where... He just told you how much generic mana. Um, which, 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 by the way, just called... For, for those that uh, recently with Oath of the Gatewatch, um, there's a confusion about generic and colorless mana. Colorless mana used to mean... Uh, generic mana used to not be a term. And the term colorless was applied to both the kind of mana you need to pay mana costs and to the kind of mana produced. Um, and eventually, we decided we had to change the name of one of those because it was a word meaning two things that were similar but not identical. That if you made colorless mana, um, yes, you could use it to pay the generic cost, but that wasn't the same thing. Um, and uh, But anyway, back in the day, it was called colorless. Um, 
So Richard had playtested that, and he realized that the mana cost wouldn't quite work. Um, I think Richard also played around for a while with just having a singular power toughness that, you know, uh, a creature, like a 2-2 creature was just 2. Grizzly Bear was 2. Um, the reason he ended up moving to power and toughness was there just wasn't enough variety um, that when you only have one number yeah, and you want smaller things, like, like for example, in early Magic, there wasn't much a common other than a few green creatures, I think. I think Crawworm. Um, most things were 3-3 three, three or smaller. And so if a common, you can only have one, two, and three. It's not enough variety. So Richard went to power toughness. Um, and I do know what Richard did is he did a lot of iterations of the playtest. Um, that he, he would make up cards. He would playtest with them. He'd get feedback from, you know... Like, another thing that would happen, by the way, is um, people would start figuring out strategies, and Richard could see de- degenerate strategies from what people were doing. Um, but one of the things that Richard, Richard decided was he liked having the cards exist. He wasn't trying to cut off degenerate strategies. He had a different answer, which was rarity. So what Richard said is, look, if I put these things at rare in a normal gameplay environment... You know, he said, okay, let's imagine what I'm doing here is a normal environment. I'm playing with, you know, I have access to 20 people. Okay, in a field in which, and 20 people isn't who you normally play with. It's like the field of people I might play with, you know. And he said, okay, I, normal play groups are going to be anywhere from three or four up to, you know, maybe 20 if you start combining some play groups. Um, and the idea was, okay, in that number of cards, if, I, if you figure out how much an average person will spend and, you know, how many cards they'll get... Richard realized that, okay, I can make Ancestral Recall. Yeah, 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 it's powerful, but in, in an environment, there's only one or two of them in an environment. And so, okay, one guy can get b- both of them, you know, but it, it, you can't make a deck full of Ancestral Recalls. There's just not the card pool to do that. And so Richard used rarity as a means to allow degenerate stuff. Um, and I think Richard knew that part of the fun, I think one of the stories that Richard tells is Charlie decides he's going to do something. So Charlie makes this recursive white deck. Um, I know that the deck made use of stuff like Swords to Plowshares to permanently remove creatures from, from the game. And then he did something... I don't know what it was. Um, maybe it was Time Twister? Maybe it was Time I think Time Twister originally you would shuffle your graveyard in the library and draw it in new hand. Uh, maybe, it, maybe it was a white-blue deck. But the idea is he would... All his deck did was remove the opponent's creatures from the game and um, then restarted the game. Um, maybe, actually, maybe he used Scheherazade. Maybe, maybe he... Actually, that's what I think he did. I think he went into sub-game. Oh, no, 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 he couldn't use Scheherazade. That was in Arabian Nights, so maybe he used Time Twister. Anyway, the idea is Charlie would just play endless games with you and just remove all your creatures, and he would defeat you not because he had a lot of kill spells, but at some point you had no defense all your creatures were gone, and then he could kill you. Um, and this would take forever. You know, this, like, this, this was, you know, we're going to play a game, I'm going to remove all your creatures with my spells as much as I can, and then we're going to shuffle everything up and start all over again. And I want to keep doing that until I extract every creature from your library. Um, and I think Richard was really tickled by the kinds of things he was seeing. That... You were seeing people making control decks. You were seeing aggro decks. Like, all the things you know of Magic now, you, know, you were seeing all the different things. There were land destruction decks. There were discard decks, you know. Um, 
But one of the things that also kept it in check is um, because there was a small pool of cards and there were people trading, like I think, for example, um, you know, I think... Oh, actually, now that I think about it, the Scaff story might have been he was building a land destruction deck, not a play right deck, which makes a lot more sense. Um, and people realizing that he needed us uh, to get a certain amount of land destruction to make his deck unbeatable, and they were strop- stopping people from trading him more land destruction. I guess that, that is what Scaff must have been doing. Um, but Richard was enamored by the idea of... So Richard did a, a play test, and he then would take the cards back, make new cards, and you know he would, he would change cards. He, he essentially did what we do now, which is he did iterative play testing. He would make cards, he would have people play with them, and then he would stop. You know? And I think the way it worked was the play test lasted a certain amount of time. Here's your cards, and it'll last for three weeks. Um, and then at the end of it, he needed to get the cards back, and, and people were like very possessive. No, 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 no! I had this deck. I don't want to get this back. You know, um, and that as Richard was iterating and trying new versions of cards and stuff, he could just he was watching people get attached to their decks. Um, so what happens is he iterates. He's off in Philadelphia. I think he stayed in touch with Peter. Um, I know that Peter came out at one point to Philadelphia. So I assuming that Richard must have been keeping Peter up to date on what was going on. Um, Peter was very excited, um, and that when Richard finally sort of showed Peter what he was doing, Peter was in love with it. Peter loved it, um, and Peter was the one that then said, "Okay, now we're going to go get the artists and we're going to make cards out of these." And Peter was really the one. I mean, Richard made the framework of the game, and then Peter working with Jesper, uh, Jesper Nerfors, the first art director, really sort of figured all the visuals and, and, and got the art into it and printed it. And, um, and there are a lot of stories early on. One of the interesting things about Magic is um, there was a lot of growing pains. There were a lot of mistakes made. I mean, Richard made an awesome, awesome, awesome game, but there were a lot of things that can be improved upon. I think a lot of early Magic and early R&D, one could argue 22 years so far of R&D, uh, or 20, almost 23, um, was finding ways to fine-tune what Richard had done and same with what I think Peter and Jesper had done of really finding ways to like get the graphics and the visuals and um, I'm not even sure who did the name I think Richard was very involved in, in, in the names um, Flavor Text might have also been Richard I'm not sure who did Flavor Text for Alpha um, Richard did a lot of it and and, um, um, and once again he had the, the his playtesters helping him that, that was another big part of it um, I think if you look at original Alpha it's funny, it really parallels how we make sets now, you know, 20-odd years later, in that it was all about sort of getting ideas and figuring out what you wanted to focus on and playtesting and weeding out things that weren't working or changing things that weren't working. Um, but anyway, so Richard finally came in, had his first prototype that he was happy with, showed it to Peter. Peter was real excited. There were a bunch more iterations. I know Peter came out to Philadelphia um, for, for some playtesting and stuff. And eventually it's like, okay, we're going to make this game. And that is how Alpha got designed. So next time what I'm going to do is I'm going to start walking through the cards and I'm going to tell every story I know about the origin of a Magic card where I know the origin or I know something fun about it. Um, I'm not going to talk about every card. A, it's a lot of cards. And B, I don't have stories in every card. But I will talk about a bunch of cards. Um, so anyway, uh, a little extra traffic today. So you guys got a little, little bonus. Uh, but Alpha's fun to talk about. So you guys got a... Uh, that. So anyway, thank you very much for listening to me talk about uh, the very first magic set and how it got designed. And um, I'm in my space now, so we know what that means. It means the end of my drive to work. 
So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So I'll talk to you guys next time.